Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in it we can know you. We thank you that in it we can know the way to have life in you. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now this morning through your word. Help us to understand what you would have us understand. But would you change us by your spirit through your word, we pray. For the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Friends, I'm going to start off by asking you to do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but just roll with it. I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to try and answer this question. Do Christians need the Old Testament? Why or why not? Now, you may have absolutely no idea, and that is perfectly okay. There is not an exam to get into heaven, so don't worry if you don't know, but have a go. Chat to someone next to you. Do we need the Old Testament still now that we have Jesus? Go. Christian, that still works, right? Yes. Uh, he was a Christian. He, was, uh, he loved Jesus, but for him, he could not understand why we would still need the Old Testament when we have the New. Right, for him, it was like watching the preview of a movie instead of watching the movie itself, and the preview was in another language. It, it just didn't make sense to him that we would need it anymore. And let's face it, the Old Testament is difficult to understand at points. It's strange. It can be really hard to see how some of the things we read in the Old Testament, how they actually apply to us this side of Jesus. Well, if you've ever wondered that, this question, if you're here this morning and you wanted to say, no, I don't think we do need the Old Testament, um, you're not alone. Because in Matthew chapter 5, that passage that Colin just read for us, Jesus almost seems to anticipate this kind of question. When in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Friends, if you grabbed a handout on the way in, you can follow along with the outline on the back. We're starting off in verses 17 with Christ and the law. And Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, the law and the prophets is what we would now call the Old Testament. Uh, Strictly speaking, the law is the, the Torah, the first five books in your Bibles. The prophets is kind of a bit of a catch all term for everything else. Uh, And so Jesus is talking about the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles. But from what he goes on to say in these verses, uh, it's clear that he has the commands of the Old Testament particularly in view. He is talking about all of it, but he goes on to talk about the commands of the Old Testament, the do's and the do nots. He's talking about the purity laws in the Old Testament. Talking about making sacrifices, about the Sabbath and the festivals, the laws about clean and unclean foods, the laws about what to see or what to do if you see your neighbor's donkey in a ditch. There's a law for that. He's talking about all of that when he says, Don't think I've come to abolish these laws. Don't think that we can ditch the Ten Commandments. Now, the the question that has to be asked here is, why would someone think that Jesus is coming to get rid of the Old Testament? What would give someone the impression that Jesus came to get rid of God's commands? Well, we get a clue right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, just flick over a few pages to the end of Matthew 7. Because at the end of Matthew 7... Right at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records this detail. At verse 28, Matthew 7, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, so everything that he says in the sermon, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, every bold claim needs a stamp of authority which is why, you know, ads for facial moisturisers and shampoos that you see on TV, they try to claim the support of the ultimate authority, science. So if Nivea just told you that their shampoo or their moisturiser removes wrinkles, you'd never believe them. But when they show you clinical trials with scientifically proven results, you still don't believe them, but you might. You're getting a little bit closer because they've shown you an authority that you might want to trust in. If you want to convince someone of something, you roll out the name of the greatest authority that you can. I learned this lesson this week from my son, Josiah, when he was drawing on the walls of our house with chalk. I asked him to stop. You know what he said to me? He didn't even stop drawing or turn around. He just kept drawing and he said, Mommy said I can. (laughs) I said, well, too bad. Daddy's the boss. Just like my son doesn't claim his own authority in drawing on the walls with chalk, he calls on mum's authority, thinking that maybe I'll be convinced. 
Well, just the same way the rabbis, the teachers of the law in Jesus' day, they didn't rely on their own authority when they taught Scripture to people. They used Scripture as the authority. If they were coming to you to teach you about the Old Testament, they would say, this is what Scripture says. When you look at Scripture itself, the prophets who wrote Scripture, they didn't even claim their own authority. They would say, this is what the Lord says. So the rabbis say, this is what Scripture says. The writers of Scripture say, this is what God says. What does Jesus do? This is what I say. Jesus speaks on his own authority. In fact, there's there's 57 times in the book of Matthew where Jesus claims authority for himself when he begins his teaching with the words, I tell you. In fact, in the very next section of chapter 5, just after the bit that we read, it even looks like Jesus claims authority over the Old Testament. If you look at verse 21 of chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? You can find it in Exodus 20. Jesus is saying, You've heard the Old Testament say, You shall not murder. But I tell you, God said this, but I say. That's the kind of authority with which Jesus speaks. It would have been offensive to religious people. It sounds blasphemous, like he's, he's saying that he's got more authority than God himself. Well, he is God himself. And so you can understand why people might have thought that he was about to throw away the Old Testament. Because he comes with the words of the Old Testament and then says, but I tell you. But knowing what they're thinking, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now that word fulfill, it means Jesus is the goal of the law and the prophets. He is the thing to which the Old Testament was pointing. He is the answer, the completion the satisfaction of everything that the Old Testament couldn't do. Jesus says, I haven't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I've come to complete it. So how does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? How does he complete it? Well, the short answer is that he fulfills it completely. Jesus is the answer to every question that the Old Testament raises. He's the solution to every problem. Which is why when you read the New Testament, when you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, Jesus is almost exclusively described using the categories of the Old Testament. Jesus is called the last Adam because he did what the first Adam was supposed to do but couldn't. Jesus is the son of Abraham who brought blessing to all nations. Jesus is the Davidic king who rules God's people forever. Jesus is the high priest who makes one sacrifice for all people. Jesus is the temple, the place in which people can be with God. 
Jesus is the Passover lamb who was slain so that we didn't have to die. He is the true Israel who loved and obeyed God perfectly. See, every way that we know Jesus is through the categories of the Old Testament. Here's an exercise that you can do this week. Open up to just any page of a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just open up to any page and start counting all the way, all the references to the Old Testament. Do this and what you'll find is that there is hardly anything that anyone says about Jesus that doesn't come straight from the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the storyline of the Old Testament by reenacting it. He fulfills the prophecy of the Old Testament by doing what the prophets predicted. He fulfills the promises of the Old Testament by delivering what the promises promised. He fulfills the commands of the Old Testament by obeying them perfectly. Jesus fulfills the ceremonies of the Old Testament by achieving what they symbolized. And so what we have here in this passage is Jesus on a mountainside before a crowd of people claiming that the whole Old Testament was pointing to me. And until the end of history, every single blob of ink in the Old Testament, every book, every chapter, every verse, every word, every letter will stand and bear witness to Jesus. So Jesus came not to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. The question is, what does that mean for Christians? Well, that's where Jesus goes on in verse 19. He says, therefore, verse 19, therefore, because I've come to fulfill the Old Testament, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you, do you see what's at stake here with our, our attitude to the Old Testament? <laughs> it's being called great in the kingdom of heaven is the reward for keeping, for teaching and practicing what Jesus says. Now, in case you missed it, now there's the answer to our question, that I, the one that we asked at the start. Do Christians need the Old Testament? Uh, Jesus couldn't be clearer, could he? I've not come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. So if you're going to follow me, you need to practice and teach it. All of it. Now, that seems fairly straightforward, but it does raise some interesting questions for us. Is Jesus saying that we're now forbidden to wear clothes made from cotton blends or from having farms that have fields with mixed crops? There's laws against that in Leviticus 19. Is Jesus saying we must not eat bacon or prawns in keeping with Leviticus 11? Is Jesus saying we must give our properties back to whoever we bought them from every 50 years? That's Leviticus 25. Do we need to start keeping the Sabbath and the Passover and the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles? 
do we need to start offering sacrifices of lambs and goats? Now, we all want to say no to that question, don't we? We don't want to do any of those things. We don't want to have to follow these rules. And yet at the same time, we want everyone to follow the rules against murdering and against stealing and against lying. But Jesus says he hasn't abolished a single one of them. How do we reconcile this? What are we to do with these Old Testament laws? Well, the answer is in the word that Jesus uses. Because he said he's come to fulfill them. Which means he has satisfied their requirements. Which means we're not actually under any of these laws. The Old Testament laws are from the Old Covenant. But those are what Jesus has, well, Jesus has ushered in a new covenant. We relate to God in a new way. So now we are not ritually clean by eating only clean foods, nor are we forgiven by sacrificing animals, nor are we right with God by obeying the Ten Commandments. Jesus has fulfilled the law And so when Jesus says in verse 19 that we must practice and teach these commands, it's these fulfilled commands that he's talking about. Which means we practice the Old Testament law not by wearing single fabric clothing. We we practice those laws by seeing in them how they point us to Jesus. We practice them by obeying the one who satisfied their requirements for us. Now, this can get confusing. So if you're a little bit confused, don't worry. This is something that we're going to keep working on. But we're going to try and break this down for you and what this means for us today. And there's three implications for us today that I want us to walk away with. Implication number one... Jesus didn't abolish the Old Testament, and so neither should we. When Jesus tells us that not even the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the Old Testament until everything is accomplished, it's pretty clear that he thinks the Old Testament is important. And we should too. We should be able to read those words of Psalm 19 that Colin read, and that they can be our words. We can consider the Old Testament commands to be uh, better than gold, to be sweeter than honey. Because it's in the Old Testament that we'll find all the information that makes Jesus make sense. If you want to know the one who's called the Lamb of God, the seed of Abraham, the true vine, the Messiah, the son of David, the last Adam, the son of the root of Jesse, the cornerstone, the priest in the order of Melchizedek, the great I am, Emmanuel, the king of the Jews, the lion of Judah, and the prince of peace. If you want to know that guy, he's called Jesus, but you're going to need to read your Old Testament to understand who this Jesus is. That's implication number one. Number two, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, and so we now read it differently. 
And this is the challenge for us today. Because one of the things that makes reading the Old Testament hard is understanding how it relates to us on this side of Jesus. And because it's not straightforward. We can't just read an instruction from God to his old covenant people and apply it to us directly. It, it doesn't work. We're not under that same covenant. So just because God tells his people in the Old Testament to do something doesn't mean that he's telling you to do that same thing. And so while Jesus affirms the authority of the Old Testament, he does change how it applies to us by fulfilling it. So we need to learn to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. We need to ask questions of the Old Testament as we read it. To understand how this passage points us to Jesus and finds its full meaning in Jesus. That can be a challenge. That's something we need to help ourselves with. That's something that we are going to continue to learn to do. That's implication number two. But number three, this is the key one. This is the most important thing we can take away from this passage. So listen up. Jesus fulfilled the law so that you could be free. The importance of this passage, the, the thing that makes this passage good news is that when Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he did that for you. And to understand why that's such a big deal, we need to look at verse 20. In verse 20, Matthew 5, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you have more righteousness than the Pharisees, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says we need to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And saying we need to be more righteous than the Pharisees is like saying you need to be more royal than the queen. The Pharisees lived for righteousness. They had worked out that there were 613 commands in the Old Testament and they followed them to the letter. The, the law required God's people to give 10% of everything they earned to the temple treasury. And so the Pharisees included 10% of what grew in their herb gardens. These guys were the super righteous. And Jesus says, if we want to go to heaven, we need to be more righteous than them. And in the following verses, which we'll look at next week, he'll tell us that we need to be so perfect that we don't even think nasty thoughts about other people. Or else we're guilty of murder. He says we need to be so pure that even our thoughts are faithful to our marriage partner. Or else we're guilty of adultery. Jesus says we need to be perfect. Or else we're guilty of breaking his law. And the inescapable reality is that we are all guilty We've all broken the law. 
But Jesus comes today to tell us that he has fulfilled the law for us. The law requires perfection and Jesus lived the perfect life for us. He tells us that unless we have a righteousness greater than the Pharisees, we'll never enter his kingdom. And then he offers us his perfect righteousness and welcomes us in. Friends, if you're a Christian this morning, know that you are set free from the law. You're set free from having to earn your place in God's kingdom. You're set free from ever having to prove yourself to God. You're set free from the agonizing uncertainty of wondering whether you're good enough. Friends, if you put your trust in Jesus, you are free. Jesus has done it for you. He has given you his righteousness. You do not need to work for it. That's what we take out of this passage this morning. Because Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, we can be free. Jesus has done it. You're free. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, these are challenging words to understand, but we are, we are grateful that because Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament, because he has completed it, we can be free. We're so grateful that he has come to offer us life not through keeping laws, not through proving ourselves, not through doing enough, but through trusting the one who fulfilled the law. Lord, this week, would you grow our appreciation for the Old Testament? Would you help us to understand it in a way that it points us to the grace of the Lord Jesus? Keep us from thinking that we need to Put ourselves under the burden of keeping the commands of the Old Testament. Help us see how Jesus has done this for us and offered us grace. Lord, may we respond to Jesus with thankfulness. May we live our lives this week knowing that Jesus has paid it all, that our sins are washed away that we are now yours. May this reality grip us and shape us and change us, we pray, for the glory of our King. Amen.